Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. It's Lori here. Today's episode is all about personal lubricants, specifically one of my favorites, Olive and B. Now, it's not a paid podcast. I'm not sponsoring or she hasn't sponsored me. I just want everyone to know that because I do really like supporting products that I truly believe in. Um, But I also think it's important that we are open about when people do give us money to tell everyone that we like these things. But anyway, I have not been paid for today. It was just really fun. Creator Claire Osterstock joins me to tell me all about this lube. I had no idea the thought, the research, and the effort she has put into creating this all-natural, beautiful product. Never thought I would be talking about lube as a beautiful product, but yes, it is. And I think many people who are in this field who have to try a lot of different lubricants with their patients um, will agree that it's actually a really fun area and fun part of the world. Um, In this episode, Claire shares her insights about what it takes to turn an idea into a product and get it on the market. She discusses her ups and downs and success with the creation of Olive and Bee Intimate Cream, as well as some really cool sciencey facts about how lubricants absorb into the vagina and a lot more. Claire has been a physiotherapist for 20 years and has founded Adelaide Physiotherapy and Pilates Studio in 2006. She is a passionate physio with a special interest in treating clients with complex conditions and chronic pain. Through her work in women's health, Claire realized that a lot of people experience sensitivity to the synthetic substances in personal lubricants. Hence, she went about developing a natural personal lubricant, which is now commercially available as Olive and Bee Intimate Cream. I hope everyone enjoys this episode as much as I did. I'm so excited to talk about this because I really, like the extra questions that you sent me, I thought, oh my God, that's so true. How do you how did you put all of this together? But I was thinking, you know, I don't want you to give all your secrets away, but I'm really interested. The only secret is the recipe. Everything else is very shareable. (laughs) Good. You do not need to tell us the recipe. But um, like I said in the questions, I would love to kind of hear, because I don't know a lot about your background. So I would like to hear a little bit about your background and then how you went from that to then Mm. creating this amazing product that I absolutely love. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get started. So, what um, did you? You're a physio. I'm a physio. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been a physio for over twenty years. Yeah. I do a lot of work in women's health. Um, one of the things that I would notice that people would say to me quite often, and you might notice this as well as a physio, is people say, "What personal lubricant should I use?" And so many people would say, oh, well, because they cause burning or itching or I don't know if they're, you know, good for me. I don't know if they're healthy. Um, You know, there's too many to choose from on the shelf. I don't really like the look of any of them. So I started to do some research into that. 
What I found out that was that there was over 200 personal lubricants on the market that I could find. Are you serious? Yeah, over 200. And this is how um, many years ago? Sorry? How many years ago was this? Oh, look, I started looking into this probably six years ago. So there's probably a lot more now. Yeah. Um, most of them had quite horrible, embarrassing names. Um, a lot of them weren't, weren't um, registered as a medical product. A lot of them didn't had some pretty nasty chemicals in them. So I started looking at, well, what are the ingredients they put in personal lubricant? And I've kind of worked out that personal lubricants um, are created really for the condom industry, really marketed towards men quite often with names like, you know, wet stuff and, you know, other totally embarrassing names, very phallic-looking bottles. Um, and most of them are water-based because they're condom compatible. Now, anything that's water-based has to have a preservative. And so then you have to add a chemical to the mix, to the recipe. And it's the preservative most people are allergic to. So about 3% uh -huh. of people are allergic to the preservative. Yep. So they try all these different lubricants and they find out that there are, they can't find one they're not allergic to because often they've all got the same preservative. They often contain alcohol, so that creates a stinging problem if people have got some dryness and cracking. Um, and then they contain other chemicals like chlorhexidine, phthalates, um, other Wait a minute. Chlorhexidine is what we use to like disinfect, like a really exactly. strong disinfectant. So they oh. can be quite strong disinfectants in, in personal lubricants. Um, they can have um, phthalates. So people are, are, you know, turning away from things like BPA. So things like that can be in personal lubricants. And they are possibly hormonal disruptors, which is a bad spot to put a hormonal disruptor. Um, and then a lot of them are petrochemicals and the modern lubricants are silicon which is you know just a straight petrochemical probably the same as motor oil or wd-40 again very slippery condom compatible but not necessarily good for people hold on i thought silicon was like i love the silicon lubes i thought that they were like oh i thought silicon was well maybe i thought it was natural yeah well i mean petrol's natural if you know depending on how you look at it <laughs> but so silicon is petroleum based yeah. Oh, I feel really dumb that I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's my understanding of it. And, and correct me if I'm wrong on that one. But it's it's not something you can sort of just easily pull from nature, I suppose. Okay. A lot of people are better off, I think, with the silicon-based ones. Yeah. Um, but for people looking for a, a, a really sort of natural ingredient, you know, something that they can see and understand, there wasn't anything on the market. Mainly because oils... Um, are not condom compatible as a general rule. So I don't think any big companies have taken on the idea of let's make a lubricant that's oil-based. So I decided that would be my job. I would try and create a lubricant that's oil-based. So we went through lots of different oils um, and learnt, I learned a lot about oils. So oils have something called a cominogenic rating, which basically means how poor, uh, poor clogging are they, I should say. So it can, Canino, something with a high caminogenic rating is more pore clogging. When you're talking about vaginal health, you want something that's low pore clogging. Yeah, because if there's an oil that's quite thick, then bacteria and other, other um, I suppose, microorganisms could trap behind the lubricant. And if they're a slowly absorbent lubricant, then you're stuck with something creating this layer. Um, you also have some small glands and other important parts in those tissues that you don't want to clog up. 
So we needed something. We wanted something oil-based because that's the only way we could get away with not adding a preservative, something that had a low caminogenic rating. Then we wanted something that was thicker than an oil because it's messy, right? So I've often recommended people use extra virgin olive oil and they're like, but it's from the kitchen, it's runny, it's messy. So we needed to try and think of something that we could use to thicken it. But we had to find something that we could use that wouldn't interfere with vaginal pH, which is supposed to be really quite acidic, so you don't get bacterial problems, something that didn't need a preservative, and something that was actually absorbable. The thing with vaginal health is, <laughs> one of the problems with vaginal health is that things that go in the vagina might not necessarily go out again. They might get pushed up into the pelvic cavity, yeah. into the ovaries, into areas where they shouldn't be. And this is not an area that will then flush itself out. So you've got a possibility of sticking chemicals, sticking a product that's non-absorbable into the vagina and then having it stay there in the cavity forever. Yep. So and we so have to fulfill all these criteria. I love that you thought all about this because these were some of my questions and in my head I'm like oh she loved olive oil so she just created a loo but no no <laughs> there's way yeah, more so originally I did think oh olive oil would be a good option yeah and then as I did more and more research into it I realized all the problems and as I was creating this was a time when some when a company in the U.S. was sued for many million dollars oh. because a lady got ovarian cancer <gasps> And they found talc in her ovaries. Oh, I did hear about that. Well, that's when I started to look into, well, what happens if things end up in the uterus, in the fallopian tubes, in the ovaries, in the pelvic cavity? No one's really done, as far as I could tell, any research onto that. So mm. we need to, well, I was thinking, well, we've got to create something that people like that's that's not messy, that's not cold, that's not sticky, that um, is all natural, that is easily absorbed, that doesn't interfere with pH, um, yeah, doesn't need a preservative, has a shelf life of at least a year, um, and then isn't embarrassing to purchase. So once we got the recipe, which took us 26 goes, <laughs> oh, wow. recipe, which was exciting, then we had to send it off for activity testing and stability testing to check um, and microbe testing. So we can tell that it doesn't grow bacteria, it doesn't grow fungus, it doesn't grow mold, it doesn't grow bacteria, it doesn't grow viruses. How long is it okay to keep before it goes off? Yeah. Um, and then we had to run a clinical trial to get our TGA, Therapeutic Goods Association approval, as a grade one medical device, which a lubricant is in Australia, so that we could then sell it safely. So there was quite a lot of background work before we could actually get the product on the market. Wow. Expense, hoping that it would work <laughs> and people would like it. That is so interesting because um, you had mentioned, so you didn't just, again, I would have just thought that, yeah, you were like, okay, olive oil, I'll put these couple ingredients together, design a nice tube, pick a nice yes. name, bam, it's done. Yes. But so I much it into it. That easy too until I started. So yeah, so personal lubricant is a grade one medical device in Australia. So it needs a clinical trial. Um, you need to go through a process of getting approval to sell in Australia. Um, you have to be on the register of therapeutic goods. You have to meet the advertising code. Um, the labelling requirements are law. So there was a lot of reading to do in terms of what has to be on the label 
How big does the writing have to be? What images do you have to have on the label? Um, how do you get a barcode? I didn't know how to do that. Um, how do you design packaging? So we needed a packaging that would not absorb the plastic into the product. Well, that was pretty important to me. Um, we started using glass, but it got too expensive. We couldn't ship it. So we really had to go with a plastic tube, even though that wasn't my first preference. So then I needed to find a plastic. I wanted to find a plastic that was manufactured in Australia. I needed to find a plastic that wouldn't yeah, mix with the product and create any reaction um, that wouldn't leach any chemicals into the product, um, that would be BPA-free. Then we had to work out, well, what size does it need to be? You know, what sort of lid is it going to have? Um, there was quite a lot of work to do in, in packaging design. Then we had to work out um, how to brand it. So, you know, we wanted to appeal to women. We wanted to appeal to older women. And we wanted it to be pretty discreet. So the idea with the packaging is that you can see it easily on the shelf because nobody wants to spend 10 minutes in the personal lubricant aisle of the pharmacy or the supermarket, right? So it's got to be easily identifiable, but you need to be able to have it in your handbag, on your bedside table, um, anywhere that people could see it and that not be embarrassing. So a personal lubricant that you don't have to hide was another, you know, comment that we were trying to, you know, achieve with the branding the branding advisor on how we would get this product to look right and be dignified, not be a shaming product to purchase. Yeah, yeah. and I haven't said the name yet, but I will in the intro, but Olive and <laughs> B is yeah. the name, which is, again, it's absolutely perfect. Um, I know you can't give us the recipe, but yeah. so the ingredients, what are the ingredients? Yeah, so Olive and B is what, what it says it is. It's olive oil and beeswax. So we use quality extra virgin olive oil, which I try to, to source from South Australia, but it's always Australian. It's the same olive oil that's food grade, so you could eat it. Um, and then we use beeswax as a thickener. Again, we source that within Australia. So the idea in calling it Olive and Bee, again, was just to have something that was a really neutral name um, and you could you could have it in your handbag and people wouldn't immediately know what it is. Yeah, and I love the new little sample sizes. Yeah, they are so incredible. cute. But yeah. I, I buy them and I can't I can't make patients pay for them because they're too cute. I'm like, oh, just take this. Just take this one. Just, just take this one. Um, and didn't I read somewhere that it said, like, it was really good for, you could use it for, did I read about you could use it for your hair? Was there something written down at one point? People have posted the most funny uses for Olive and B, <laughs> but with my TJ approval, I'd say it's for personal lubricant, vaginal moisturiser and, and general moisturiser or massage oil. So I don't recommend it for other uses. So people do tell me, oh, it's good on my heels, it's good in my hair, I can use it to shave. People use it on their dogs, people use it on other skin conditions. Um, but because we haven't done the trials for those areas, it's not mm. something that I outwardly would market for, yeah. but people have found their own uses for it. Lots of people use it as an, a lip balm. In their I was going to say, I had, well. I had it in my bag and I have an addiction to lips, and I had run <laughs> out and my lips were starting to burn and I'm like, oh, I've got this in my bag and I'll just use yeah. that and it was perfect. 
Yep. So it is so a great people, lippy. I, mean, I figure if it's safe to use on vaginal mucosa, you can probably use it on other parts of your body. It's got to be um, And to be honest, initially I thought it would be used mainly as a personal lubricant, but now it's used mainly as a vaginal moisturiser. So even for people that aren't sexually active, they're just getting um, vaginal symptoms. So possibly they're they're using it to try and prevent thrush or other infections. But often it's just a dryness, maybe a burning and itching. They might get cracked mucosa. So a lot of those postmenopausal symptoms mm. that people tell us about, which um, we now can use a topical that not only you know gives them some relief, but will have a nourishing effect on the tissues. So the olive oil and beeswax will slowly absorb hydrate the tissues and hopefully prevent that cracking and that dryness into the future so it actually does have some therapeutic benefits yeah do you um i i've seen ones that have the little applicator is that kind of on the cards in the future to make one with a little applicator i've had lots of requests for an applicator i didn't realize how complicated that was then to create Mm. because we if we have an applicator we then have to get tga approval so for that applicator then we have to have approval to say that those two things go together because technically that's a pack, which is a different medical device. So then there's another trial that says that the applicator and the oil are fine to go together. And I haven't worked out how we clean that, how we manage that well. Um, it becomes another insurance issue if someone hurts themselves. So there's so yeah. many risks in everything you create. So people tend to buy their own applicator separately if they need to, okay. to, to get that whole vaginal moisturization Um, often I'll say to people just use your finger you don't necessarily have to use an applicator um, but people do source their own applicators if they decide that they need to do that um, or the doctors recommended that for use Mm. I I love supporting local keep it in the country Um, Mm. but then (laughs) you want to expand and share it with all the other countries so how does going through that whole process and having it all legit for Australia how does that transfer over to other countries or have you hit have you gone that way yet yeah it's that's a really good question because it's really complicated there's different rules in different countries so different labeling rules different registration rules Um, in some countries a personal lubricant is a medical device like in Australia we're class one in some countries like New Zealand it's classed as a cosmetic in some countries like the UK it's classed as a medical class two device So different countries have different laws. Um, In terms of e-commerce, so if someone buys online and they use it direct in the US or direct in the UK, it seems to be okay because they're purchasing it for personal use. But I can't yet supply to a, say, a pharmacy chain in the US and have them sell on the shelf because I don't have FDA approval. So it becomes quite complex. Some countries like the US and China still also require animal testing before the product can enter the market. And it's it's in Australia, we don't see that as an ethical way forward. So we don't do animal testing. So human Very... testing is not okay, but animal <laughs> testing is. Totally, yeah. And now that we've been, you know, three years on the market and we've sold over 30,000 tubes, you would think that that would be enough, you know, <laughs> enough human testing to move forward. Yeah. We'd have to do animal testing and it doesn't really get done in Australia. So then we'd have to send that product to be tested overseas on animals. 
um, which is what people have done to get their products on the shelf. So I'm kind of waiting out a bit. I've heard in China by, I think, 2021, 22, they're going to stop animal testing. I'm hoping that'll happen in the UK too, and that'll just make it so much easier. <laughs> so at the moment, seeing as I haven't even really marketed very strongly in Australia yet, there's a lot lot to do here before I invest the time and the money in, in meeting those regulation requirements in other countries that will cost just tens of thousands of dollars to get to get to point point A. So oh, I can't yeah. imagine. So yeah. if people are listening and they're from other countries, are they able to buy it anywhere? They can buy it online. So places like eBay, um, Amazon do sell it. Um, I have other people have put it online, I've noticed. So it's not necessarily direct from me. Um, I did notice somebody is selling it in the US for 146 US dollars a tube, which I think is like $200. Which is about <gasps> a, what's that in, in, in markup? A thousand percent. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's not me trying to make a fortune out of, out of this. That's somebody else that's taken it on. So uh, you do notice other people trying to trying to make money, but they can buy direct from my website into other countries in small quantities. And it doesn't get stopped at the border. Yeah, no, it's it's getting through customs fine. Um, but I imagine if we started to go into bigger quantities, then we 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 may find that we can't we can't sell in that in that way. Some countries like Canada are easier um, to sell into. Um, some countries like Singapore, India, Hong Kong, we've sold into without any trouble. EU's been okay. Um, it's a little bit complicated between the EU and UK at the moment, obviously with Brexit, and so that affects medical device regulations in that part of the world. So everyone's sort of holding out to see what happens there before they re um, also get their regulations sorted in the UK at the moment, which we thought would be a few months. But years later, we're still sitting waiting to see what happens there. So it's amazing how something like Brexit can affect my small business. Oh, my God, yes. In Australia, yeah. So one thing we have done, though, is we do have trademarks now in 10 countries. So to make sure that obviously no one can copy our brand. Because you can't just I do that in one country. Uh, it no, doesn't that, then carry yeah, over. You have to do that all over the world. So there's a huge cost as well. And we're trademarked as a medical device and a cosmetic in each of those countries because the regulations may change. So it's the lawyers have made a lot of money out of me so far. <laughs> Um, and also we have global insurance. So I worked out that I couldn't control where it was selling. If I sell to someone in Australia and they send it to their friend in the US and someone in the US decides to sue me because of some reaction or, or something could possibly go wrong, then I need to have insurance. And the insurance in the US, even the excess is $10,000 per claim. So it's just an enormous amount of money that that, that goes into having a cosmetic or medical device that's global. And um, people would say to me, well, don't sell into the US. And I'm like, but I can't, that's a big risk to take. If you can't control with, with online, the online marketplace, you can't control that. Um, so even though our product is, you know, safe to eat, really, really conservative in terms of what it is, um, you're still, I'm very risk averse. I think that comes from my physio background. And so you need to make sure that your business is protected. So there is a lot of work to do to get a product on the market and to avoid risk and to uh, to meet all your your requirements and all your legislation, even in your own country, let alone starting to go into other countries. So hence it's taken until a few months ago before we actually started to make money in this business. <laughs> 
because there was a lot of things to get in place. So for anyone looking to start a business, assume a couple of years of just reinvesting in all the everything that goes into the background to produce one product because there all are those rules to meet. Yeah. Did you did you go to Shark Tank for it? I actually went to a different competition. So um, Shark Tank is for people looking for investors. Um, from the beginning, we didn't need to look for investors. So I went on a – but I did recently – um, earlier this year, enter another competition out of Sydney called the C3 Challenge, the China Canvas Challenge. And the challenge was to get a marketing plan to sell into China on paper within seven weeks. So what they did um, is they asked businesses around Australia to apply for this competition. They expected to get 50 applicants and ended up with 400. Well, they oh, closed the doors no. at 400. Oh, no. <laughs> So bit of competition. Um, then what we had to do is we had to do a lot of reading, um, watch a lot of videos and do assignments every week for seven weeks. On Monday night, they would release the assignment, which often had multiple parts. So I would say, you know, seven assignments could be for the week. The assignments were due by the Thursday morning. So you had less than two days, really, a couple of nights to get all that work done and submit your assignment. Then the assignments were marked and you were put on a leaderboard. And straight from the beginning, I thought heaps of people are going to pull out. This is really hard work. But what they were trying to do is to test us as entrepreneurs. So they made it quite difficult. So within a couple of weeks, I was ranking in the top 50 and then in the top 30 and then in the top 20. So I kept going, kept going. By the end of the six weeks, I was ranked at number eight, which is exactly the number I had to be in to get to the finals. Awesome. So I was coming eight out of 400. So then I was. Was there still Sydney. 400 people at that part? At that no, point? I think there was about 60 oh. left standing at the end. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> and then we had, um, then I pitched in Sydney on a, in front of a live audience, and it was live on Facebook and YouTube. And I pitched to four judges, um, all male, all with no idea, I'm sure, about the vagina. So that was quite, quite funny. Um, but managed to come second in that competition and the top three winners won a trip to Shanghai. So wow. in May, I went in a business group to Shanghai and looked into how business works in China and how possibly to sell olive and bee in China. That is amazing. So that was amazing. So people ask me how they can support the podcast and I would love it if you could rate it on Apple Podcasts, subscribe and share it on all your social media accounts. There's also a patron-only crowdfunding campaign if you'd like to support the podcast with options of one to two US dollars per month and an option to cancel any time. As a thank you to the patron support, you get access to one to two bonus episodes per month. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, for all of your support, and I hope you continue to enjoy the episodes. That is awesome. Yeah. So I've learned now that, you know, doing business in China is really difficult as we yep. kind of tuned but I'm starting to piece together a process of how we can eventually sell into the Chinese market which is probably still a couple of years away but it's yeah. putting that process in place which, which is the whole point of that prize was to help you work out the process of doing that right absolutely yeah and you know I do think it takes years to get things in place properly yeah but at the moment we're struggling with capacity so one thing I didn't really think about when I started this was how many people want it yeah well (laughs) we're selling over a thousand a month which was more than I expected at this point but also olive oil and beeswax are actually finite items so it's you know if you're making a, a lubricant out of a, a out of a chemical 
you could probably make as much as you possibly wanted. But if I'm trying to source Australian olive oil and Australian beeswax, there might be a point at which people say, sorry, we're sold out. Oh, yeah, don't and do so that. I've been through, <laughs> yes, I've been through several suppliers. Oh, no. Um, and I need several suppliers now because it's seasonal too. And it was last winter when they said, sorry, there's no more beeswax. And, you know, beeswax comes when the bees come back. I was just dumbfounded. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's been a bit of a learning curve. And if they've harvested the olive oil and the harvest has run out, then you wait till the next harvest. So are you going to have like your own olive, what's it called? Yeah, Yeah, thank you, Grove. I'm like, what do you want to, what do I want to run through? The olive grove and your own bees? I know that, you know, I I think probably we won't go that far. (laughs) But I'm speaking to lots of farmers and with the drought at the moment there, a lot of them haven't harvested this year. So we've had to look at, um, you know, finding finding different farmers, finding geographical areas that are doing well that can provide the raw ingredients. So, yeah, that's been a really interesting wow. lesson to learn. So do you have your own factory? Yeah, I do, which no. is so funny. <laughs> so I, um, when I first started this, I thought, great, we'll get someone to make this. That'll be easy enough. But we had to find a manufacturer that was approved with the Therapeutic Goods Association or was happy to make something through Therapeutic Goods. Then we had to find someone that could fill and seal a tube. Um, I didn't realise that that was such a process. So someone with the right factory and the right machines, we could not find in Adelaide. So I thought, well, you know, I've got this far, I might as well do it myself. So I decided to set up a factory, (laughs) as you do, as a physio. So, is this in your house? Yeah. Is it really? <laughs> no, no. Oh. <laughs> we actually have a facility. So I found a property to lease. Um, we set up all the machinery, uh, which took us a few months, um, sourced all the equipment and found a, uh, I found a microbiologist who was happy to come on board as an employee. Um, so we self-manufacture and it's been a lot of troubleshooting in that process of the machine breaks or the tubes don't seal because it's too hot or something goes wrong. So we're actually touch wood at a point now that it's actually working out quite well. So we've got our, we make on site, we fill and seal the tubes. Uh, the tubes themselves are manufactured in Sydney um, at a minimum order of 10,000. So you know, they say you're in for a penny, in for a pound. So you start, you know, you have to, you know, start with the ball rolling. But now we're on our you know, fourth order of 10,000. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and yeah, we ship, ship, ship it ourselves. So we've managed to keep the whole process actually in that market, uh, in our market controlled for, for, for quality assurance. So I know that every tube has come out of our factory. So how many do you have in your factory? Is it just the two tubes? of you? Yeah, no, no. yeah well, there's, well, there's three of us in total. So there's um, someone that does the physical work on our yeah. production line. And then I have a part-time sales rep. And then there's me running around doing everything in the background. So at the moment, we're fine. for That's, that's enough staff. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm picturing every tube that I buy, I'll be like, oh, Claire put this one together just for me. <laughs> it's all made with love. So, yeah, so I still have, um, I think we're up to eight employees with my physiotherapy practice and oh then gosh. two with my other business. So, yeah, life's busy enough at the moment just with what we're doing. Busy. Are you going to start, um, you know, have you ever seen the Nutella jars are all personalized now yes. for Christmas? <laughs> can we get personalized ones? <laughs> well, you just, you can get them personalized, but you'll need to buy 10,000. Oh, yeah, that's right. Whoops. <laughs> okay, no. 
I may not do that. Um, <laughs> so you were talking about how it can, it absorbs and it can travel in through the vaginal tract and, you know, up into the pelvic area. And you looked into that, but do other, all the other companies, the silicon water-based companies, did they look into that as well? Like, should we be concerned about other products that people may be using? Like, I would have never thought of, especially water-based, you never would have thought about that also, you know, being in there and maybe traveling somewhere. Yeah. I think the answer is we don't know. Um, We can only assume that um, other companies are doing their due diligence. So, to be regulated with a TGA, you would have to have um, chemicals that are approved on the market. So, you know, we totally need chemicals. We need preservatives in our shampoo and in our cosmetics and things. But they also so get absorbed. They can only choose one. Yeah, they, yeah. They're a list of approved chemicals. It doesn't mean they'll be approved next year. And yeah. I think it's interesting, like, when my babies, when I have my babies and the oldest one is now 10, the, the shampoo we were using on her there is now not approved for use on children. Oh, wow. So, you know, things change. Yeah. So Chanel number no. five that women were using more than five years ago is different to the Chanel number no. five now because they had mm. to remove a couple of carcinogens. So wow. it's it's space of we don't know. Um, yeah. A lot of what's used in Australia in the chemical industry, especially in the fragrance industry, has never been properly tested or thoroughly tested especially long-term. Yep. So we, and things are tested on, on your skin on the outside. They're not often tested in on sensitive tissues. And yep. so uh, I just figure I don't know. So mm. I'm going to put anything in this product that I can't guarantee. Yeah. Which includes fragrances, colours. So when people see the product, they're like, wow, it looks quite yellow. I'm like, yeah, that's how it comes. I do have so, to <laughs> warn patients. I'm like, I'm just letting you know, you do not have an infection. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is the 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 cream um but I, I have so yeah. many patients who have a lot of sensitivities and I have not yeah. had one have an adverse reaction to it Fantastic. Um, and they've all been extremely happy with it and one uh, two things I wanted to ask was um does the stain sheets like Actually, people... a lot of people have asked yeah, that. Yeah. I've never had anyone come back and say it's stained their sheets I so haven't I think either that's okay. why I was like oh, I better check <laughs> on that because it's oil Yes, um, and I think as long as things are cleaned properly, it should be fine. So yeah. um, it's, you know, you should be able to get oil out of your clothes or out of your sheets if yeah. you need to because you're only using a small amount. I yeah. don't think it's it's creating a big mess. We don't so, need a lot. Yeah, so we, we haven't had that as, as a question. Well, we yeah. haven't had that as an issue come up. Mm. The other one was I had patients who were using, say, ring pessary, and they said, yes. can I use this to insert the silicon ring pessary? Yes. And I was like, well, that's a good question. I'm going to have to ask her. So do you have patients use yeah. it with pessary use as well? Yeah, they do. Um, and it is a good question because whether oils go with silicon, like hard silicon products, also depends on the oil. And they have different rating depending on on um, uh, what the oil is made of. So there's a whole chart you can you can get but um olive oil rates fair with silicon so it doesn't rate as good it doesn't rate as bad it rates somewhere in the middle in the cluster in the middle because people are often using that pessary that oil of them be just to insert that pessary and then it's absorbed could cause some degradation of that silicon product over a very long period of time so so far we've had lots of people use it with um silicon pessaries and no one has reported 
that that has caused any damage to the pessary and that would be the only risk is you see some degradation of the silicon but that so far hasn't been the case. Can you use it with silicon dilators? It would be the same thing then, right? It would Absolutely, be just making yeah. sure over time. And plastic dilators would be fine. It just makes them a little, you have to clean them a little bit more. Yeah. It's not an easy product to clean off. That yeah. would be the only thing. I often use glass dilators with patients because I yeah. find they're much easier to clean, clean really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, again, it, it's just it's just cleanliness. The good news is that the olive and bee, like we said before, it can't grow mold, bacteria, viruses on it. So it it won't if it's not um, it won't encourage the growth of microorganisms, yeah. which is what's important. And like yeah. you said, it doesn't have a negative effect on the pH of the vagina. Yes, yes. And yeah. that was another learning curve because people say to me, so is it pH neutral or is it acidic or is it alkaline? And this was, a, this was something I had to learn. It actually doesn't have a pH because it's not water-based. So pH is measured by hydrogen ions. And so it doesn't have free hydrogen ions. It doesn't have a pH. So that took me a while to get my head around. <laughs> it has no effect on pH. That is like a water-based lubricant wheel. Yeah, yeah, that is so cool. So <laughs> are there any little things that you have in the next few years planned for Olive and Bee that you can share with us? Yeah, totally. So um, what I'm excited about, well, to, um, we now have our tubes are made from 30% recycled plastic, which is the highest recycled plastic you're allowed to use in a cosmetic oh, tube. Oh, that is so good. So that's exciting. That's actually going to be law in Australia in a couple of years. So I thought we might as well jump the gun and get that done. Nice. It does cost us a lot more and I'm much happier knowing that we're actually putting less plastic in the world. Uh, we're also moving to a flip-top lid because we did a survey on this recently and 95% of people said they'd rather have a flip-top lid on the container. So we're doing that in the next order. Um, lots of people have asked us if we'll start to increase the depth of our range. So will we have a lip balm? Will we have this? Will we have that? At the moment, we're just focusing on the one product and and getting the knowledge out there, getting our olive and bee branding out there in the community. But in the future, we could look at other products um, in our range. Because... It is already a lip balm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. The little tubes too. Those are perfect little lip balm tubes. They are. But people, I, you know, I had someone write to me on Facebook just this morning saying, but it says intimate cream. I don't know if I can give this to my friends, you know. And, and I just say, look, it'll be a really funny conversation to have with your friends. So I'd totally give it to your friends, even though it says intimate cream. <laughs> uh, that is the one thing I give to all my friends. I'm like, what do I give them? I've got extra lube. I'm going to give them some lube. Yeah, yeah. I think we're probably in, a, in an environment and a profession where we totally – do those things more than other people um but yeah I'm hoping that we can get the topic out there with it with that not being embarrassing you know it says intimate cream it, it shouldn't be embarrassing we need to maybe open the conversation about the fact that you know over you know over 50 percent of postmenopausal women are using a product uh, for women that are suffering from the, the symptoms or their reactions from breast cancer, cancer treatment, over 80% are needing to use a product. This is something that, that we should talk about. And it's safe um, to are, use in those patients as well, right? That's right. And there are a cohort of patients that are totally nervous about using anything that has a chemical attached to it and often anything with a hormonal component. So we're offering them a safe option. So at least it's something that will do no harm, that it's safe to use, um, that one thing they don't have to worry about. 
And it's a really good price because the bottles are what? Th- how much? What's it? How much is in the bottle? Five mil bottles are twenty two dollars. Yeah. Five mils. Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. great price. So it goes a pretty long way, I think, yeah. <laughs> for most people. Yeah. Um, some people are using it um, daily as a moisturizer, and they tend to go through it a bit quicker than people that use it just as a personal lubricant. Um, but it is something that. I'm hoping most people are finding that it is affordable, that they could use it for daily use. Oh, definitely. I use olive oil as like to wash my face and as a moisturizer. Now, I've never thought about using olive and B as my nightly face cream or under eye cream, but you never know. I'm happy to be a tester for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some people do and they tell me that it's helped to their skin. So that's great. But if you think about it, it actually, so the olive oil is the hydrating component and the beeswax actually creates a barrier to the skin. So you get that slightly waxy feel. And it's the barrier that would help prevent the pollutants getting into the skin, help protect the skin. So um, we've had lots of anecdotal evidence from people with their eczema finding it helps prevent the eczema from taking hold because they're keeping that skin, that, that natural skin barrier intact if they're using something to prevent the bacteria getting in in the first place. So again, it's not my, it wasn't my intention to create yeah. something for use in the area, but it's it's found it's another place that, that people do use it for. The nappy rash even is oh, another that's one. that's it. I was just thinking, I'm like, because, you know, they say on, on the little lanolips, which is again where I'm yeah. like, well, look, you know, you can make this little tube, right, for, for lips, but they say 101 uses and then they give you a list of all the different things that you yes, can do with yes. it um but then which is exactly the same as what you have but yeah, like, like the poor poor or the yeah yeah 101 yeah. uses so i might have to um if we if we increase our range we might need to have a product that sits on the side that isn't a medical device yeah <laughs> yeah a cosmetic or a topical and then we can say lots of different things that we can't say at the moment being a medical device so it yeah um, it does affect our advertising laws we can't use testimonials we can't yeah. say you know promoted by this physio and that doctor because yeah. it's amazing the sexual health physicians gynecologists obstetricians dermatologists that now recommend this that sell this yeah that use it that and we can't actively promote that are we allowed uh, to uh, well, you can probably do what you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't get in trouble for things that we the, say. Horses, horses now. Um, I, I, I'm careful with my words, um, yeah. but a lot of people will promote it um, you know, themselves their own way. But we're not in getting trouble. you in trouble by doing that, are we? No. Okay. No. Yeah, that's all right. As long as it's on us and not you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we do now have olive and bee being um, used in several private and public hospitals, community yeah. centres. So um, it can be used to do internal gynaecological examinations. So it means that women can have a choice if they say, look, you know, that product that you normally use does create itching afterwards. Then we do have some hospitals now that can offer this as a second choice, which is great. I always use it in my clinic. That's why I'm like, don't don't they all? But that's yeah, yeah, yeah private yeah, yeah. versus public. So no, that's great. Yeah, so we use it in our you know our clinics to internal yeah. examinations. Yeah. Um, and I've had patients say that they'll take it with them to the doctor, so yeah. that that can be yeah. used. Um, mm. I keep finding more questions. So one more question: If mm. people are anaphylactic to bees, yes. do they have to worry about this? I would be careful. Okay. <laughs> so bee sting and beeswax are quite different products, okay. but 
I always get people to try a test patch on their skin, yeah. like on their arm or something quite that's not sensitive yeah. if they're concerned. Okay. Um, because, you know, some people are allergic to bee pollen. There could be traces of bee pollen, I imagine, okay. in the wax. Um, it's it's unlikely to have an effect, but yeah. I don't know how sensitive people are. Yeah. And it's one thing I would get people to be quite careful of yeah i've never found anyone allergic to olive oil which is great yeah i don't think i have either yeah so but with bees um it is important to be careful if people do have a sensitivity yeah oh thank you for answering all my questions um, and for sharing so much about it i again i i love it um and it's just yeah it's really interesting is there anything else you wanted to let people know i'll i'll put links in the show notes so they know where to find it and where to find you yeah. Um, what else should we tell people? Um, the only other thing that you may want to add is that we um, we do um, – what's the right word? So along the way with the process, we keep testing it for um, microbes along the way. So yeah. it is something – I'm not sure if we mentioned that, but um, it we is We didn't a mention the shelf life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, – on the new tubes, actually, it's going to have a expiry date and a okay. date once oh, – I'll say that again. So on the new tubes, it will have an expiry date and also a date of how long it can be used once opened because that is a requirement now in the EU, possibly will become a requirement in Australia. So that's something to look for on all cosmetics now that – it not only says, you know, when it will expire, but when that product is open, like like a mascara, it doesn't have a long shelf life once it's opened. So that's something people should 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 look at. Um, and the other comment, we talked about not adding fragrances or colours, but one thing I would be very careful of for people, especially using anything vaginally, is those additives. So if something has got a a fragrance added, it's, it's not necessarily... Uh, a safe thing to use on vaginal tissue so to be just really careful really mindful of any sort of washes or anything that they use in that area to just use water um to just not expose themselves to any more chemicals than they need to and they don't need to wash the olive and be out or off or anything no they can wipe it off if they need to but it will absorb so it's not something that has to be washed off with soap afterwards yeah um what has the have you worked out what the shelf life is yeah so two years once opened we're saying 12 months okay oh that's that's still really long you've got a long time nobody's gonna have it for that long no (laughs) (laughs) i don't think so so no way time and it's really because um look to be honest it would probably last forever olive oil and beeswax don't really go off but 12 months is about the most you can put on a product once it's been opened yeah. Oh, perfect. All of that is is excellent. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of this. Um, and I really look forward to what is coming in the future as well. Thank you so much. <laughs>